0: Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Welcome to the show today. We have an amazing guest, Brian Peterson. Thanks for joining us. He is one of the most dynamic leaders and innovators in the Colorado product space today. He's had this amazing journey. It's diverse. It's interesting. He has surf kid roots, which I love. It's so interesting to hear how folks come into this role in their journey and how they weave that into their story of their career. Working at the biggest global music organizations like Sony, BMI, EMI. Like these are these are huge companies and it has been a part of so many different things. So he's co founded things. He's served as a CEO, former uh, VP of product at Camp Miner. So he's getting back into the mix in the product space and he has a lot to say and a lot of good stuff to say. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> this is this is awesome. Long time coming. Yeah. The guitar in the background. Uh too. Got all the music stuff. Well, let me not butcher your introduction. You can give uh, listeners your own personal elevator pitch. Thank
1: you, Kevin. So just a quick backstory on me that I think it's relevant here is I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and small business owners, people that basically saw opportunities or saw problems and said, hey, I can do something about that. I'm going to pursue that. So that that's kind of my, in my DNA, wound up, as you mentioned, working for some larger companies. My wife and I moved from the West Coast to Nashville in 2001, right when the music industry is being disrupted and had many years kind of helping the music industry evolve in a product and technology role. And then got more into the software as a service space later on here in Boulder, Colorado, but uh, yeah, been been doing
0: product off and on for almost two decades now. Two decades, yeah, that's amazing. I want yeah. this is one question that comes to mind with your experience. Where did you learn the role? I'm sure it was little pockets here and there. I'm sure it was a mix of things. But tell me a little bit about that journey, and then was there anything like meaningful moments that you took away on your journey into product?
1: Like you said at the beginning of the show, you know, we all come in from different areas, right, of the business. My first experience with product was really early on. It was more product and marketing type of role. So at EMI in the early 2000s, like we were creating digital products, but it was kind of marketing and we were trying to create relationships. Same thing when I was over at Sony, you know, on the mobile side. I would say my first kind of taste of truly Taking a product from zero to one was when I had my startup called Bandbox. It was like an early Shopify meets a Google AdWords platform. Artists wanted to sell direct, you know, digital, physical, all sorts of things to their diehard fan base. And that was really exciting, you know, because you got a hands-on build a product from from literally nothing. And then it was kind of after that where I started to do more formal product training. So I took mm-hmm. a Marty Kagan class in New York. I was you know, really getting involved with a lot of formal product training. Stepped back in as a senior product manager at another big global music company called Broadcast Music Incorporated. Well, I wound up heading up their, their UI UX design firm. So it kind of evolved like organically. But I would say the startup was the first taste of like true product. And then I, I started getting really interested in, in more of the education and training behind product management.
0: You call out some key things there. Tell me more about that journey into starting your own business. Was this pre-product knowledge or post-product knowledge of understanding what it was? I wouldn't have called myself a product manager Back
1: then, but it's all the same things that we do as as product managers. Yeah, I mean, it it was like, I I guess it started with you see, you know, this is very, this is kind of every entrepreneur's story, but you see a gap, right? So at Sony, we have all these artists that want to sell direct. We had this, what we called the Sony's Global Digital Business Group, which was supposed to be the best of the best. And it really was in a lot of ways, but we didn't, they didn't have any great, technology platforms at the time. And so we said, Hey, we can build this. So me, so me and three other co-founders, and you know, you're starting from the bottom, you're doing customer research, you're talking to, this was a marketplace. So you have the artist who's kind of like the SMB, and then you have the, you know, the fans that are actually purchasing their music and other things through our platform. And so Funny story, our very first prototype launch, we had an up and coming artist that had a song that was on a big TV show at the time. Forget, I forget what it was called now. I think it was called the OC or something like that. And so she was promoting this song using our company Bandbox. And so we thought we were ready. We had the product built. There was a glitch and it was a big glitch, meaning the fans, they weren't able to download their MP3 of this mm. song. In true, like, scrappy form, we we actually, like, emailed, followed up with, like, hundreds of customers via email and said, we're so sorry, you know, there was a glitch in the system, here's your MP3. And it actually wound up being an amazing experience. People loved it because it was, like, a high-touch, like, oh, they, we got yeah, all personal. this great feedback. Sure. But it's oh. another example, product example of like failing fast and getting out there early and prototyping. And right, you learn so much from that. And then we take that to the next step. So that was just a
0: funny story. You said you said it three other, two other, three other people? Three maybe? other founders. Yeah. Three other yeah. founders. So did they work with you, the existing company you were in?
1: No, they were. They were all just kind of either kind of friends or acquaintances, people we sure. knew. And we had been talking for a while about doing something. And this this was... I'm not sure if I'd ever do four co-founders. You know, there's three others. That that was a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but it is nice to have others in the journey because it's so hard.
0: Was this something that you were doing as a part of your job, like on the side, and then you decided to go full bore? Like, tell me more about those details. Like, I'm very curious about. Yeah, great question.
1: Yeah, I actually we built it on the side. I'm trying to think. This was like 2006. And so, for about a year, we built it on the side. We all had our day jobs. I was at Sony Music at the time. Each of my co-founders were at different places, and we, there was a, you know, everyone's trying to get to that product market fit. There was a moment for us. We had our our our, our first client was was Jewel, kind of a an artist who'd come up in the nineties, two thousands. Our second client was Taylor Swift. And she was, you know, at the time she was like a 17-year-old girl. And we we had this moment where she was she had her first album and then she was about to release her second album. And it was going exclusively through our platform, Bandbox. Wow. And wow. we were all like sitting in the coffee shop at the time, ready to go live. And it was phenomenal. I mean, it was like you're in Vegas. You're just watching like the money pour in. It was like you're just kind of crossing your fingers. I mean, there was there was so much. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars going through and just, you know, within hours. And actually, funny story here, we were, this is way back. So this is like 2007. And, you know, when you do these digital music too, there's these microtransactions, right? So you, you licensing of music, it's like, say, 70 cents on the dollar goes to the label and, you know, to the publishers and whatnot. And then you have, you know, the rest is being kind of eaten up in credit card charges. So the, the typical kind of credit card processing is like, you know, X per you know, X pennies, you know, it's 25 cents, 30 cents, and then you got a percentage. Well, we kind of had worked with PayPal, who was one of the early adopters to do this like microtransactions. Well, PayPal shut us down right like hours into this big launch of Taylor Swift because they oh. there was so much money coming through, they thought we were like fraudulent and Fraud, yeah. Money. So we're like, on with their fraud department try you know these young yeah these young be like hey there's we, we got to you know you got to hey, turn this back, hey, on. Turn it back on um so we actually we did and you know it was, a, it was a fun moment but shortly after there i i left sony to to join kind of come, come full time as our yeah. ceo and and then we started kind of building the team up from there that was that was really the the oh, man moment of truth we're like okay there's something here and
0: You know, there's so much opportunity that came out of after this, that
1: partnership with Taylor Swift.
0: I love that story. I think that neatly can take us into our top of mind discussion for today. I think there's a lot of product leaders out there, product managers, either doing zero to one at companies or wanting to pursue things themselves. Right. And being able to, I think what you're saying is huge. It's this build first, get traction Tinker later, right? Fail fast, fail off, right? Like this concept. And I feel like a lot of folks that are in product management might get stuck. In what it should be, life is what it should be, kind of the conversation we were having earlier, but like this, right. what that product, what that feature, what the customer experience should be, and less of just making that thing a reality and trying. It's going to be so different than in your head, and I can almost see this kind of broken up into two different brain spaces, right? Which you have like the product strategic brain, and then you kind of have the builder solution-y brain, and how much time do you spend in one versus the other from a product manager and going to go explore them. What do you think about this?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because you bring up this good kind of like dynamic, and there's just tension as as product managers, and, and I think it's actually a healthy place to live in the middle, just like most things. But I'll explain it, kind of riffing off what you said. The, the on the one hand, I've I've seen kind of this what should be is like this idealistic like we're going to build the perfect product we're going to wait to launch it right it's got to be perfect you know it's got to have all these features it's you know and so we 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 just wait too long and we don't we don't take advantage of the short feedback loops and getting the feedback and failing fast and all of that and that that's the one side of the spectrum. The other side that I've seen, and I, and I, you know, we, we tend to go to both extremes and I see this, especially like in, in kind of larger companies, or maybe there's, there's slower moving companies where product managers start to almost give up. Like they're like, "Mm." it's like, you've been at it so long. You're like, yeah, I know my, my user shouldn't have to, you know, click five times, but you know, it is what it is. And like, you come complacent. You're like, Rather than being like, man, this shouldn't be this hard. It should, You know, we should fix this. We should really fight for this. You you come complain. So it's, it's like this tension of like, how do you mm. live in the middle of always being like, it shouldn't be this way. We should be able to make it better. We need to invest more. It needs to be a better product. It needs to be a better experience. It needs to be faster. It needs to be higher quality. And then at the same time being like, you know what? it, it That's true. And we got to get this out. We just, Mm. I know it, I know it's not good enough yet, but we're going to get, we're going to come back to it. We're going to be just, it's like, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but like this tension of living in in the both, you know,
0: we tend to either go to one extreme or the other, or at least that's my experience. Maybe we could put some constraints around this concept so that it's more tangible here. So yeah, let's say within a given month. And you're working with your development team on maybe a zero to one, right? Maybe this is the scenario. Well, we can say zero to one or improvement. Let's say improvement. So the customer, yeah, it should take five clicks, right? And now what are the two options that they have that we need to kind of center in the middle on? Or we should, right? Or at least be more aware so then we can dial things up and down. Is it one of just... Oh, we need to spend the time to figure it out, or let's try a bunch of shit and see what sticks. Right? Are those the two extremes, or how are we thinking of that?
1: Well, yeah, I, that's it's a great question. I I think let let me give a more practical example yeah. from from my history. So, I just finished up seven years as VP of Product at Camp Minder, so in, in Boulder, Colorado, and we serve summer camp industry. And uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, we were developing a new mobile product. So. Parents drop their kids off at camp. East coast, it could be like seven, eight weeks. You know, it's the whole mm-hmm. summer. West coast, it's more like one or two weeks. You know, same, that, same thing here in Colorado. And, you know, as a parent, you're like, dude, I just dropped off my my little ones. You know, are they having a good time? Are they, you know, are they, are they okay? You know, are they liking it? And so we created this product for, or we were launching this product for these camps to push out to their parents. That it basically allowed you to kind of you know the premise was okay kevin you dropped your kid off at camp you have this mobile app called companion it's 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 a phenomenal app you go to the app stores you know 4.9 rating but the, that first summer we had a roadmap of like 12 different things we wanted to do and we wound up cutting like half the scope but but here here's the here's the thing and this is hopefully brings us back to reality We had to get clear on okay, we had a vision for what this app was going to be, what it should be, what the parent experience should be. But when we had to hone in on that first year is what's the real value? What's the main value prop? Right? And we had a facial recognition component. So uh, remind me, you have kids, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, two daughters. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I don't. You drop one of your daughters off. Yeah. What, what happened is you would, when the, when the camp photographer takes pictures of your daughters, they upload them. Well, we had in our system where triggered trigger of the facial recognition technology and say, oh, Kevin's, you know, this is a picture of Kevin's daughter. Well, mm. what we wanted to do that first summer was send a push notification so that you automatically got notified. Mm. Well, we didn't have enough time to do that. Right, and so we had to make that choice to be like, "Hey, what what it should be? Yeah, you should be able to be just notified, like you're you're working, you're a busy parent, you're, you're whatever." Just, but that first year they had to, you know, actually go into the app. We would surface that picture that says, "Hey, here's your daughter. Look at she's jumping into the lake, or she's on the zip line, or whatever." It was super cool. So we nailed the value proposition, and we had to come back to like the push notifications for the next summer, but. The 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 point I'm trying to make is you could you could just be satisfied and be like, you know what, we don't need push notifications. Let's let's spend our money elsewhere. Like we were pretty convinced that we had to come back summer after summer and keep adding more value. But at the same time, if we would have said, Oh, we need to build all of this, they wouldn't have had any kind of experience that first summer. Right. So it's it's yeah. like I see. I think so. The the key is get super clear on your vision of what this product needs to be, and and don't let things get in the way. And I know that's that's a bold statement. There's a lot that can get in the way, but at the same time, get super clear on what your value proposition is. Like, what is the single thing these parents care about? They care about pictures of their kid. They want to see. Like I actually experienced this. I had a picture of my son jumping into the lake, and 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 they do this thing like six in the morning. The kids can jump in. They call it the Dippy Club or whatever. And like that one picture, and 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 me being notified, where I don't have to search a thousand pictures.
0: Like that alone was the value. That's good. Now I have a clear picture of of what you're what we're trying to hone in on. And I think it's this vision of value to core value prop, and it's it's almost like a definition of an MVP a little bit, right? Where it's like. Well, I know that term's uh, overblown, but it's like what you're saying is get clear on the vision. So spend a lot of time, think about this stuff and maybe not spend a lot of time, but be very clear about what that ideal state is and then understand of that ideal state, what is the most meaningful part of that ideal state? Yes. And make sure that that is the thing that you always center in on, you always come back to. Like, I feel like, we can go deep into execution mode and lose sight of that core value prop sometimes by just pushing out value, pushing out random push notifications, blah, 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 right? But then we lose sight of that moment that you're talking about. And maybe that, yeah, that was a bad analogy, but yeah, something, yeah, Is is that kind of where you're nailing, right?
1: That's totally right. Another term that I love is this, or this framework of even over. Like when you value two things, Right, because it's it's hard to distinguish like what's more important, what's more valuable. But yeah. this even over like like for example, we we value um, you know quick delivery. So like let's get things out quickly, yeah. and you know we're agile. We also value security, right? So like in our case, it can't minder. Like like we're, we're we've got a lot of personal data, health data, you know minors, children. So it's like. We value both things, but like, what do you value most? Like, like if you had to pick even over, you know, they're both awesome, they're highly valued. So like, I think that's another exercise that I always go through and I encourage my team to go through is like, okay, I mean, this, it's the ultimate trade-off. You know, when you you have like two really good, it's easy when you have like, you know, this is kind of good and this is great. But when you have two great things, and, and and again, that helps you go back to that what you're talking about MVP. I think as a whole, we struggle at defining what an MVP is, right? Because you're basically making these even over trade offs, like between really great things, like they're you know, and that I think it's a little bit of an art and a science, but you know, part of it too is is getting clear even up front before you. You know, you're in the, the heat of the battle. You like, you can make some of these trade-off decisions. Say, I, I value security even over, even if we have to delay this release, I'm not going to put my customer's data at jeopardy, especially when there's personal and health and minor, you know, other important you know, information in there.
0: I wonder if we can run an exercise together and see if we can work through this even over concept, this MVP definition. I'd love, that, love uh, that. Let's do Okay. Okay. All right, where's our where's our underserved market? What are we building here? What ideas do you have?
1: Here? Well, let's. I mean, hey, you're a music guy. I'm a music. Yeah, guy. Let's, let's do something let's music. Let's talk yeah, about absolutely. the music space. I'll, I'll tell you something. Okay. Yeah. So my wife and my seventeen year old daughter they're going to the Taylor Swift concert. You nice. Know, if you remember when they pre sold that, it was Ticketmaster, right? Mm-hmm. They, I don't know if you remember this debacle. Oh yeah, crashed, didn't it? Several yeah. months ago. Yeah. no. Was was this
0: a reselling thing?
1: Well, the reselling thing came out after, but maybe we can, you, you pulse any of this. I think there's a couple of problems we could solve for, but the, my wife story, she was on, I, I think she spent six hours on hold trying to get these tickets and they had this whole master plan. She had several other moms and people that were like simultaneously on trying to get seats and. Any like they actually finally got them after I don't know six to eight hours. You know, a lot of her friends didn't get them, and then now enters the the reselling debacle. Or like, you know, it's thousands of dollars. You know, to go you know see a pop artist, right? And you know, some people are paying that, but I don't know. I Again, I think there's a better way. So may, maybe there's something you can pull out of that. Just that, that
0: whole process of buying Ooh, this... and reselling. Such a complicated challenge, but this is where that even over this MVP definition needs to come to fruition. If it's reliability or being able to purchase the ticket as first come, first serve and as a method, you know, you could treat it, and that's could potentially treat it as a bidding system, which is effectively what the resellers are doing. Right. And then you highest bidder wins, right? You could maybe blend the two together, right? But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, thinking about that customer, that job to be done here, you have this mom that wants to get a ticket for her to have this experience and you're you're just enabling it to happen. But she goes through all this pain of getting on the call, figure this out, and, you know, servers getting blown up and maybe there's like this fight over resellers buying it versus moms buying it. I don't know. Maybe we can center it on that, like the initial purchase of this ticket. And the kind of customers that are kind of in the mix here, causing that issue to occur. So well,
1: let's unpack that just initial buying experience. So, yeah. so first of all, I'll just I'll just talk about how it's done today, right? But the artist wants; they're incentivized. They they want their fans. They want everyone to be able to, you know, purchase a ticket, right? Now they also know, like especially you know with Taylor, like there's just more demand. You know, then there is, you know, available seats, right? So she's, she's playing like multiple nights in certain cities. So you've you've got that dynamic, but you also have, you know, it's a business, right? They're trying to make money, right? So there's, um, and, and everyone's, you know, there's different people taking a piece of the pie, but you have, you know, you have a, a, a time when it's open, Right. So and I don't know if that's the best system. I don't know if that's the best way. Like, but is this it, is, the is existing
0: like, experience? You're saying, yeah, yeah.
1: Like it opens it, whatever it was, eight a.m. You know, eight a.m. on this day. You know, you can everyone floods in at once. <laughs> like, and just imagine that in a physical setting. Imagine like I like I'm thinking like a uh, Black Friday, <laughs> the old days where they oh, open the uh, Walmart or Target, and like everyone's coming in. You know, it's like a stampede. You know, is is that the best process? But like, how do you how do you make sure you
0: can, you know, if you're ticketmaster, they just couldn't handle the load. I think there's some element that maybe we can use from e-commerce that we've learned over the past fun pandemic age, dropping or this this concept of not needed inventory or pre-selling or this, is there something that, you know, efficiency that we can help aid in this process, right? I love the concept when you're, when we're talking about Building out new products and features like testing your value prop before you're building right so you're kind of promoting the value prop you're not actually doing anything behind the scenes and then you're right. you're collecting submissions as you build and maybe you get to some threshold that makes sense or even if they're paying that's great right I think folks like who did this buffer wasn't the- a good public example of this approach, right? I'm not familiar with, what would they do? They led with a value prop on a landing page. Okay. And then I think they eventually threw in a, a pay screen and and then they would start to get budget, you know, it, it I, I'm butchering the story of it, but it was similar okay. to that where they actually didn't build the product until they got the pull, right? And so here, if you were to kind of maybe apply that met- methodology and some of the learnings from the e-commerce land of, of being efficient, maybe what we could do is do something around that okay do we get enough pull taylor swift coming through of course we're going to get enough pull but maybe there's that pre-sell signaling of signing up ahead of time so then ticketmaster understands the load right and then they can over index and yeah yeah because they didn't they didn't know right i mean they they,
1: obviously you have some some you can look at your historical data you understand Mm -hmm. like past shows whatever based on city but yeah it, it was you know, based on my understanding, again, I don't have all the insights, <laughs> you know, to what happened at Ticketmaster, but it sounded like, you know, they were kind of caught off guard. They knew it was going to be a lot of load, yeah. but it was way more than they even expected. They so expect to your them, point, again. yeah. Can you signal like when it's, you know, weeks or months or you know whatever days, whatever that time frame in advance, mm-hmm. where it's like. Yeah. Like, are you going to buy these tickets? Like, or do you, like, you want to be, you know, I'm I'm even thinking like, you know, just because, you know, that's what people do here in Colorado is triathlons or, you know, races sure. or, you know, yeah. whatever. And they, they put them in their groups, right? Because you don't want, you know, thousands or, you know, even sometimes hundreds of people, you know, going into the water at the same time or in the race at the same time. So you, you have to stagger. So like, is there, are there yeah. other concepts that you could take? Gates that you can stagger, you
0: know. What about this? This would be interesting. So, if they, if the fans built the experience with Taylor along the way, so instead of partnering with someone like Ticketmaster and deciding what date, where to go, and there's a lot of logistics going into planning touring, right? Like we know that, you right. know, Deals you have to make with venues. But what if, you know, hey, fan base, I'm going on tour and I'm going to the East, Coast. you know, let me know. Are you are you interested in me coming to your town? Right. Okay, now you get your first poll. Okay, interesting, right? So now you as a as a tour manager, you can maybe start to cut deals with venues or start to at least, oh, it's gonna be this path because look at that. Like this this initial right. signal is this way. And then, oh, look in Colorado, it's like ten times what it used to be. Like we should probably double up on that night, right? Or we should probably like open it up. Right. And so now they're starting to navigate that within their ecosystem. And then as they as they go closer and closer you know, you have more of those opportunities to custom build that experience together with the fans and Taylor, right? To say, oh, could we, you know, I want to do it in this venue or like, you know, there's maybe polls for venue or votes on venues. And then that starts getting as a signal to then partner with then Ticketmaster, right? So you start to get the signal that kind of follows them along the journey to then, you know, okay, then this, this isn't an issue. They're already expecting this. And it also provides for a more efficient experience for Taylor and her fans right over time. Because they yeah, get to and, build the stuff and people, yeah, it meets the demand. I love, I love the idea of getting the fans involved. I, I think, yeah,
1: you know, more of the indie artists do this. You know, there's there's more of this oh, yeah. preset. So I, you know, the hard the hard part is, you know, Ticketmaster is kind of monopoly, right? And and the, and all the venues at that, that scale, right? And so, you but know, but it shouldn't the, be
0: this way, Brian. Come no, on, you're right. It shouldn't be. So we need, <laughs> let's, to, we need to do. Yeah, let's figure it out. So how would you? I mean, yeah, I mean, if it if it shouldn't be this way, would we? Yeah, I mean, you're you're disrupting in an industry. You know, it's been done, not unattainable. And if you can get a pull of someone like a Taylor Swift, she would be happy to. You know, she's a she's an early adopter of these things. She tried Brian's company right early on, so Bandbox. So I would imagine yeah. she's she's up up game for this, right? Exactly.
1: No, it's. I'm I'm trying to think of other like comparisons. So, I'm not a big golfer, but you know, like, what's that league that came out of that's competing that they, they were like pulling golfers out of the PGA? Okay. I'm not, sure. okay. We're, I'm not a golfer I'm even going to go Musicians okay. over here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. But <laughs> well, you but know, it was like there was a yeah. monopoly and then they yeah, tried to exactly. like kind of create multiple. And now they're actually like partnering
0: together or something. But I love those stories. Think about like maybe Shopify is another example of disrupting like e-commerce giving solopreneurs like a whole much other people totally. that you know the power and the tools to uh, do the things they want without having to deal with the monopolistic deal politics of these companies that just don't right. have the right incentives right because they're so overarching they have these business goals and now it's like no we just want to help you we want to help you honestly earnestly and then we also want to make a business but like we're the small guys trying to help these these people out and i think that maybe is more connectivity Throughout you know the world here a little bit more because it's more accessible for folks, right? So maybe yeah. that's maybe that's an example of it. I think I don't know. But.
1: So going back to this, let me throw out this this concept <laughs> too. Like, let's say we don't disrupt Ticketmaster, but we do come up with a new process. Imagine sure. rather than I don't know how many it was, like three million people hitting the Ticketmaster servers, and you know all at 8 a.m. Yeah. Could you break it out that says? Okay, you have to, you know, again, signal ahead of time, which they may have done. I don't, I don't know. And it's like, sure. okay, rather than three million people at eight a.m., it's like, okay, these hundred thousand at eight, these hundred thousand at eight thirty. These, but you know, and then you have to get creative about how do you like allocate the seats. Yeah, right? how do you so allocate it, it? Yeah, and it is—is it, is it a random lottery? Is it like? Are the people that got chosen to go into the eight to eight thirty bucket? Do they just, was that just random? Like you know, and then they could
0: choose their seats. You know, and I, I don't know. It's
1: it is a complicated. And then there's
0: fraud in there too. Like who's going to abuse that system? And then be taken. So you have to factor that in. Like there's a lot of unknowns, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 This is too hard. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to try and solve this problem. <laughs> No, but I think I think what you're getting at. I it, well, it, I think this is what I struggle with too and I think a lot of executive teams and leaders and product people also think of the existing constraints and this is the complacency you're talking about and like what it should be, what it shouldn't be or yeah, what it should be, right? And then right. actually making a motion to make that thing happen. So really the, the at the core of it is really focusing on the thing the actual thing that you're doing. So, you know, a lot of folks say jobs to be done is a good framework here where it's like the job that you're enabling for somebody, the experience that you're enabling on somebody. And don't lose sight of that as you that's build right. it in your product, right? And that's kind of what it is. It's like, yes, we have this these constraints. We have Ticketmaster to deal with because they have all the venues locked up, right? We have all these constraints Now with all that understanding, again, this thing shouldn't be the way it is. So how do we figure that job out, right? How do we fix that more particularly? So instead, like, I think, as, as you kind of heard us brainstorming, our minds swayed between a couple of different avenues, right? We can go large with a huge vision, experience vision that is maybe unattainable. We can go very highly technical to think about the technical hurdles that you have to deal with and and, and figure things out. And then what? So why? right? And so why, why is that are we solving for you know the mom getting this helping you know buy a ticket for her daughter to have this experience? Or are we solving for Taylor and trying to create this experience from an artist perspective, a mix of both, right? And then so yeah. now we're centering back in on that core job. And so it's I think what you're what you're describing and what we're getting at is like, it's important to go wide, right? And then, but always don't lose sight of that central foundation of what you're building for and why you're building for. And like, be aware of those two modes that your brain can go in, even though it's incredibly hard to do so. And then uh, try to dial things in. Question: Have the right questions. It's it's that art and science balance, right? It's totally, so hard. right. No, and I love what you said because you're
1: you're you are you're like your brain's over here, and then it's over yeah. here. Like you're you're having to like oscillate. <laughs> and to your point, the self awareness to be. Oh yeah, I I'm actually in this really creative idealistic state of what should be and like I'm now I, I'm dreaming really big and now now I'm coming over here and in the state of like okay, real constraints. Okay, what can we do about it? What's the smallest next step we can take? Yeah. You know, being reminded of why are we even doing solving this in the first place? Right? Cuz you get out and you sh- you start solving these things you're like, "Wait, why am I trying to do this?" You're like, "Oh so yeah. yeah." Exactly. You, you know, have to remind yourself. Yeah. Right. I mean it's the same thing back to the the whole like, you know, companion mobile app at, at camp miner that we were building for these parents. It's like yeah. oh yeah. Why are we doing this? Oh, because we're we're showing the value of camp and the, the relationship between their camper and the parent and like bridging the gap. Like, you know, so many times we had to come back to the core of like,
0: oh yeah, this yeah. is, this, this, is, is know, this is why this thing exists. It. This is the value that and then this is why right? yeah, this is why that value or why we're doing it yeah. this way. Yeah. Oh. It's great, I love it. so it's hard to say I guess like to to center in on a theme here. I mean it is this art a, yeah this this art and science balance, this dance, this dance of what should, what shouldn't be, complacency in action, co- contemplation in action, like, but I think that what you said, I think uh, hammers at home is this awareness and that awareness that self-awareness can trigger the different mode to go into next based on the context something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but You're there's awesome. something there that's interesting, right? Uh, but, well, tell me now, so maybe what we could do, one one thing that I'm struggling with as well, that I could that use your, your experience for is communication. So I think a lot of folks are going into this next half of the year and next quarter a cycle turn for planning and kind of tying it back to what we said earlier communicating all of that, right? How do you effectively communicate that as a leader to a lot of, of a lot of, like an entire company or a team, right? Or, or the team that you're building for. How do you articulate that vision um, with clearness, with conciseness, with direction so that the team can do this dance on the day-to-day and figure things out as they go along? What are some tools in your toolkit that you use to kind of you know, provide that clarity of communication around the stra- strategy vision, all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, no, this this is, man, right, has always been and probably will always be one of the biggest challenge, um, challenges for what we do. And, and I've failed a lot of this. I think one of the best things, I mean, I, here's what I know to be true, is that it doesn't work to just have or like kind of like communication every so often. Like, you know, the quarterly meeting or, you know, the annual planning session or, or whatever it is. Right. And we, as human beings, right. We, we can only take in so much information. We can only absorb it for so long yeah. and we have to be kind of constant. Like, so I, I think that what I'm trying to say is there has to be an ongoing dialogue and communication. And one of the, honestly, I oh, think cool. the most effective ways that any product leader, um, can, like you know, one of the most effective ways, any product leader can can handle this communication is just to one spend a lot of time on it to make like it a, a regular occurrence and so one of the things I was trying just this last year was kind of an ask me anything in AMA whereas the the head of product VP of product I would invite it was an optional during lunch on a Friday you know like hey here's what we're talking about it was always there was always you know a lot of open time for for q a but we always started with like here's our vision company vision three year one year here's the roadmap like in it 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 was just a constant like reinforcing like why why are we doing this where are we going and i think the the uh, kind of consistent and regular like back and forth communication And, and honestly it was more of like a casual environment where it's not just like being presented to you there's more of a conversation a two-way conversation happening yeah. where like you know what maybe the this this the sales guy that's been heads down you know or you know maybe you know you know one of your i don't know one of your folks on the support side you know I'm just thinking you know she comes over here and she's like mm. hey i've I've been busy over here. I haven't had time to know like even look at your roadmap. I know you've presented this as the last quarterly, but i i, I keep hearing about this issue from our clients, and I keep getting these calls like where is that on your roadmap and like good question mm. like you're in and then you can kind of like so it it's 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 hard I'm not saying that that's there's multiple tools you have to put in place, but I think the like weekly availability of any product leader making themselves available yeah. so that they can have a dialogue. And I, I like it being a consistent time. I like it being optional. I mean, we would have sometimes there'd just be five of us. Sometimes there'd be you know dozens of us on a, a Zoom call or a video call or whatever you know, because there's a remote environment. But yeah, that's one of the things that, that
0: I you feel You touched like- on a lot of good, Like I think the availability and willingness to you know kind of beat down the same message it's like it's so ingrained it's always a you know it's always the same message maybe regurgitated or kind of like curated for that personal experience for the individual so it lands but i think there's like fundamental questions that i i wrote down that as you were talking that i feel like maybe it makes it really simple for us to communicate this and it's where are we going why are we going there how will we know that we're making progress? And then, you know, I'm debating this, but like, how are we organizing our efforts towards it or something? But yeah. does that encapsulate it? Is there any other questions that you answer within the, that type of communication that is helpful? Yeah, I I actually always like to highlight what we're not
1: doing and why. I like that, yeah. It's like, it's kind of like you're getting ahead of the question Like, you know, that, that nagging, like that feature or that product that, you know, everyone wishes or that one department wishes you do. And and you're like, Hey, this is on our radar, fully aware, and we're not doing this. And here's why, because we're, we're investing over here. Like that, I actually think people pay attention more to the, what we're not doing. Like they kind of gloss over like, Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. that." Okay, cool. Cool. And when you say we're not doing this, like, wait, what what would they say? We're not doing this. Oh yeah. Okay. And then, you know, that kind of gets people's attention.
0: Good. Okay. Those are some good questions. Okay. Well, man, we went all over the place with this one, but I love it. It was it was great. Um, a lot of fun stuff here. So um, what we usually do at the end of these shows is kind of wrap it up, wrap up some homework for our listeners for the week. So love something, it. what this is, is something practical, tactical, tangible that they can put in motion in this week while they're, um, uh, after they listen to the show on the Monday. So. um if you were to have one piece of yeah takeaway that they can actually tang- tangibly do in their week what would that be
1: yeah i i would say going back to the beginning of the conversation just make a list what are the things that that aren't as they should be like just like think about it in your for your product for your cust- from your customer's perspective in your team in your company and just start start to kind of like capture that list. I think it's good going back to having that, spending time thinking about the vision of what should be, like that's so and that's that's the one side right? your one brain, and I would you know I would encourage everyone to spend not uh, not a lot of time, but like you know fifteen, you know twenty minutes a week, just really like kind of coming back to that list, like, probably like more on a, like a Friday afternoon or something, right? Like or a Friday afternoon, <laughs> and then on on the other side keep going back to what you said, the why and the value prop, like why, why are we even doing this? Like, why did, why did we even start this product 10 years ago or five years ago? Like what is, you know, and, and like, actually, you know, ideally you're, you're talking to customers every week, but like, you know, picture someone I'm, I'm picturing Kevin, you know, like he's doing his podcast and, you know, we created this, amazing, whatever microphone for him so that he could like, yeah. and like go back to like the core of like, what are we trying to solve here? What's the value and say, you know, that, why do you do that? Cause you're just like, okay, is what we're doing is, is what we're doing this sprint this week on our roadmap, this quarter, is that supporting? Like what we set out to do as as a, as a company, as a team. And I, I think that those two practices need to be weekly where you're constantly looking at what, sh- you know, what isn't, but what should be and the, more of the idealistic, like this is the future. And then coming back to what is the value? Like why like, if one's looking forward? One's looking back.
0: Love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make it succinct here, but make a list, right? Uh, make it real. Make a list. Make right. it real is like that customer under you know like make this make this thing that list real. If it's not real to you, you know, find the customer and make that real. Put a name to it, right? Feel it, like put yourself in their shoes, right? Yeah, and then actually, like I love this uh, first piece. I'll have our homework here around this: build first, get traction, tinker, fail fast. Is kind of like after you make a list, make it real. Do something about it. Do something fast right. about it, right. and then right continue to do that and keep focused on that value, which is that, that, that core at the core here. Yeah. Some great homework. (laughs) Well, Brian, where can our folks, our listeners reach you if you wish to be reached?
1: Yeah, I'm, I've been more active on LinkedIn lately. So you can just search for Brian Peterson, Colorado, probably the best way. And I'll love to to interact. I love to meet up. So if you want to you know, do a Zoom or grab coffee. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome.
0: Well, Brian, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, and thanks for coming. Absolutely, Kevin. Thank you for having me. This is this has been fun. Looks like we finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.